the next few weeks, I'm going to cover a subject that is on a lot of people's minds. Some of them have been taught. Uh, others have not been taught, but all want to bolster their sense of believer's authority. Uh, this is something that, well, I, I only came across it somewhere around 20 years ago, that the believer has authority, and I had to learn. You know, sometimes God takes us through situations, and they become an absolute learning curve for us. And uh, I, I ended up teaching this in a Bible school. You, you were part of it, Jackie. And, uh, you know, we, we went through various subjects, and one of the key subjects was the believer's authority, and we're going to deal with this. We're going to ask questions. Does the church have authority? Did Jesus have authority? That might sound a silly question, but did Jesus have authority? And the Word of God is explicit in how he had his authority. Did Peter, did Paul, did James have authority? Do you and I have authority that we can exercise? These are the sort of things we are going to deal with over the... Are you okay with that? It uh, doesn't matter if you're not, it's, it's going ahead. <laughs> okay, uh, believer's authority. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 28. Uh, picking it up at verse 18, and we'll go to, we can't go any further than 20, because that's the end of uh, Matthew's gospel. Then Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, remember, these are virtually the last words of Jesus before he ascended to his Father. Then Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, that's, that's a big claim. That's a massive claim. All authority. Paul tells us, that he has been given a name that is above every name, that the Lord that we worship has ascended to the right hand of the Father. And of course, if you read Scripture properly, and we'll deal with some of this as we go through, we also are seated with him. So we're seated at the right hand of the Father alongside the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I tell you something? That is the position from which we pray. That is the position from which we minister. Right there, alongside the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the same way as Jesus operated in his ministry on earth, we operate under the authority of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, if somebody says, I, I, I don't need the Holy Spirit in my life, then I'm sorry, they have no ministry under God. They have no purpose under God. Because in the same way as Jesus submitted himself to the authority and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, you notice something, uh, that uh, there are times in Jesus' ministry where he, he did nothing unless the Father told him. What's more, 
Jesus said to his disciples, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. Now, if you're going to hold that one, then those words have got to have come down from the Father through the Holy Spirit into our lives. And therefore, if the words that Jesus speaks are spirit and life, then we have the Holy Spirit living in us. We are endowed with his power. Therefore, the words we speak are spirit and are life. And there's a lot of people around in the streets today that we pass every day, not knowing that we're passing them. Uh, we're going about our business, but they are in need of words of spirit and life. And we have authority to impart those words of spirit and life to other people. But uh, I'm over, like, like Owen, you can get so excited, I'm overtaking myself, so let's get back to where we are and get on track. Uh, let's continue to read here. Um, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Notice what that says. Make disciples of all nations. It is one thing to preach. It is one thing to teach. It is a total different thing to make disciples. Uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And remember, in other words, never forget this point. And remember, I am with you always, even till the end of the age. And uh, we have advanced in time so long. Uh, this might sound a bit controversial. We have advanced in time for so long. We are near, absolutely near to the end of the age. Somebody asked me a question. If we can see moving on from where we are now into eternity as a door, where do you think we are? I said, personally, I believe that we have one foot over the threshold. That's where we are. Almost ready to go home to be with the Lord. Put it this way, he's almost ready to call his church home. Are we ready to receive him? That's a big question, isn't it? So, we are coming to a situation where at any moment in time, let's be honest, or things that are going on around us show us this, at any moment in time, God is likely to turn to Jesus and say, Son, go get your church. Now, only the Father knows. Jesus said, only the Father knows that moment in time. It was interesting on the... Did we see it on television or did we see it uh, on a video of some sort where they were talking about the Galilean principle of the wedding, the Jewish wedding? Uh, uh, and I didn't realize this, but the Jewish wedding can take many forms depending on where you come from. But in Galilee, and this is really a punchline, in Galilee... The, uh, they go through the formal process of introduction, the bride and the groom, a sort of our equivalent of an engagement. And uh, then they, don't, they part company for about a year 
where the bridegroom runs and prepares a place. Now listen to this. The bridegroom prepares a place for his bride. It may be an annex on his father's house. It may be a plot of land that he builds himself. But he prepares a place for his bride. And the bride makes herself ready. Getting the clothes that she needs. The right attire for the wedding day. But the only person that knows the date of the wedding is the father. That happens in Galilee. The only person that knows the date of the wedding is the father. And the father turns to his son and said, Okay, son, go get your bride. Now, go get your bride. Now, that, that really opened my eyes as to where we are at this moment in time. Uh, those of you who are married, that's it. You remember the time when you talked about getting married? You named the date or the possible date. You know, you were going to hook up for life. This is it. You named a possible date, and then you came up against people, perhaps your parents, other members of the family. That's not convenient for us. Who's Hold on. Who's getting married? And we can shout to God as much as we like. This day is not convenient for us. God says, it's my decision, and that's it. But let's get back. Let's ask ourselves a question. Does the church have authority? Well, we've just read in Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus received authority from his Father. And he has been given ultimate authority over all things. Jesus said, Therefore, go. It's that big word, go. It's got two letters, G-O. Which of G-O don't you understand? Jesus said, therefore, go. Whenever you see that word, therefore, it takes into context everything that has been said preceding. Okay? Because of what has been said then you have this word, therefore. And it's amazing. It, it, it appears repeatedly in the word of God. You get a conversation, you get a discourse, and then you say, therefore, because of this, this is what you do, this is where you go, this is how you go about it. Uh, our authority is delegated authority. Look, if you, if you have a legal problem... Uh, you delegate authority to your solicitor or to your legal counsel, whoever they are. Uh, Pam and I have just moved house. Yeah, it's actually happened. We're there, we're in, and we're getting settled. But uh, we had to give authority to a solicitor. Actually, she wasn't a solicitor. She was a conveyance uh, working uh, in a firm of solicitors. And uh, we had to give her authority to undertake all the necessary dealings, not only in the house that we were buying, but also the one that we were selling. And guess what? Within days of final completion, the sale of our house fell through. The guy backed out. He said, I don't want it. And we thought, Lord, where do we go from here? Because we're buying this place that we've got now. Where do we go? What do we do? Within two days, 
our estate agent had a couple who desperately wanted our house. Bless God. It's done. It's done. Uh, okay. Uh, so, but we had to delegate authority. Um, Pam and I, a couple of years ago, went through that, uh, that process of making sure that all our possessions are going where they want, where they, we want them to go uh, when that time arrives. Uh, we recognized the time was getting on more for me than for Pam. She's younger. You know, she looks younger. And uh, she, uh, we, we sat down with a, with a solicitor and we put everything, all our wishes down. Okay, we've come to the point where because of one or two things that have happened, we need to make some adjustments, but that's going to be easy. But we had to, again, we had to give the solicitor authority. This is, these are our wishes. We want you to work according to our wishes. And we had to listen because he said, I advise you to go this way rather than that way. And we thought about it and, and we said, okay, let, let's, let's do it that way. But uh, it's, it, you know, wherever we go, we're under authority. You see, if I'm driving the car, I didn't drive here this morning. Um, one of the things that happened some perhaps five, six years ago, uh, Pam decided, and, and I think Father was really dealing with her on this, she said, if you're ministering, you no longer drive. And the family backed her. Immediately they said, yeah, we'll go along with that. Now, it's only ever happened up to now that Pam has done the driving. Today, I'm speaking, I do not drive. That's it. And I've accepted her route. You know, if you've got a wife that's talking sense to you, if you've got any sense, you listen and you act accordingly. At least you weigh up the pros and cons, but you act accordingly. And God gives us... God gives us our partners, our husbands, and our wives in life for a purpose. He designed it all. God gives us, if God gives us a command to do something, think about this. If God gives you a command to do something, does that mean to say that it's possible? Well, if God said it, it must be possible. No matter how you feel about it, oh, I don't know if I can do that. Um, I, I had a phone call one day. I was early part of my ministry. I had a phone call one day and said, uh, can you come and speak at the annual city carol service? We've been let down and you come recommended. I thought, this is in Coventry. I thought, citywide carol service, me to speak? She said, he said, you've got seven minutes. <laughs> now, giving Wilson seven minutes is a disaster. Come on, because he's bound to overrun. And uh, I, I did overrun, but they forgave me. But uh, I got into this theater, and it was packed. And I've been told that the place seats just over 3,000. Uh, my biggest congregation ever up to that time. And uh, wow, but did God bless yeah, God blessed. And, uh, but I, I thought, I'm not happy about this. I'm not happy about me standing up there and pleasing God in speaking to the, the uh, congregation of that size. But it worked. Um, 
So if God gives us a command to do something, it must be possible. Therefore, uh, if we are given the command, now here's one, I know Owen is going to deal with this as he goes along in his series, so I'm only going to mention it. It's in 1 Peter 1.15, be holy in all that you do. That's a command straight from Father. So if it's a command straight from Father, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. We are His people. We are His children. Therefore, being holy in all that we do must be possible because God has told us to do it. Amen? Uh, We are given to given another command. Love God. That's the easy one. And love your neighbor. As one man said to me, my neighbor is not my problem. It's the guy living next door to me is my problem. And uh, yeah, love your neighbor as you would love yourself or as you yourself want to be loved. That can be a difficult one sometimes because we come across all sorts of different thinking, people with different attitudes, and that can cause us problems. Now, talking, just nipping back to, to the fact of being holy in all that we do, God has given us resources to be holy. In fact, they're the same resources that govern everything that we do in our life for Father. Number one, he's given us his word. Okay? Never reject, never, never neglect it, never lay it down. I remember the time in my life I had a crisis and I put my Bible on the shelf and I never touched it. I say for about two years, Pam says, and probably a lot longer but I never touched it, never opened it, nothing. No, the word, it is paramount, absolute paramount. It is our guidance. It, is, it does everything for us. And of course, the word of God will remind us who we are, okay? And how we came to be who we are. Uh, so first of all, he gives us his word. Secondly, he's given us the Holy Spirit. You agree? You're right with that. You're happy with the way things are going? Good. I'm going this way in any case. Thirdly, he's given us the name of Jesus, that name which is above every name, and we have full authority to use that name. What did Jesus say? There's coming a time, they said this to his disciples, there's coming a time when you will no longer ask me anything, but you will ask my Father in my name, and he will give it. Reminds me of the prodigal son. Uh, Actually, I've preached on the prodigal son a number of times, but the last time I preached on the prodigal son, I preached on the extravagant father. The son comes home. He decides he's had enough of this wild life that he's living, the life that has brought him to his knees. 
and he comes home. His father sees him. His father runs and takes hold of his son, and he calls. He says, bring a robe and put it on him. It wasn't the son's robe. It was the father's robe. Give, bring a ring and put it on his finger. Uh, in that culture, the ring on the finger of a young man was the authority of his father. He could operate in his father's name. He could buy, he could sell, he could employ and do anything in his father's name because he had the seal, the ring of authority. Let me tell you something. You have the seal of the authority of father on your life this morning. Not only today, but every day of your life. You have his authority in the way that you walk, in the way that you deal with your neighbor, in the way that you, you get down to prayer with Father. You have the authority of the name of Jesus. You can declare over your life in the name of Jesus and it will happen. And then secondly, so we've got his word, the Holy Spirit, the name of Jesus, the fourth one. Any ideas? The fourth one is your faith. Okay? Your faith. Now, let, let me just remind you of something. You did not manufacture your faith. Agreed? Yes. Your faith initially came and was birthed in your life the moment you made Jesus Lord and Savior of your life. Your faith started to blossom. It started to grow. And it grows on, goes on growing and it goes on growing. So you have your faith. And when you take your faith and couple it to the other three, the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, the name of Jesus, it becomes the most potent force in the world. Okay, you got it? Your faith is the most potent force in the world, especially when you express your faith in that name which is above every name. Um, I, had, I had an experience last weekend that I haven't had before. And uh, I've shared this with Pam, and it, it's totally, it's not flawed me, but it's totally caused me to think. It's causing me to go back to Father and say, Father, what's this all about? Uh, we were ministering in the service last Sunday night in the church, and uh, a couple of people came to the front for prayer. But it was one of those days when there wasn't a lot of preaching or teaching, but there was an extensive amount of ministering into people's lives. And this was totally Holy Spirit. That was it. And I had this lady come forward for prayer. She'd been forward. We know her well. She'd been forward many times. And she knelt on the floor. Now, I've never seen her do this before. I've seen her stand. I've seen her prayed for and fall down. But here she got on her knees. And then she put her face to the floor. I've never had this before. But she was there. And we prayed over her and then carried on ministering to other people. After the service, she came up to me. She said, Tony, I want you to know something. What happened tonight? She said, I've never done that before. I said, you've never done it before in my presence. She said... When I got on my knees, 
the Lord spoke to me and said, the person standing in front of you is not Tony, it's me. Wow, praise God. I thought, woof. Uh, can you imagine how I was going home that night? It was not Tony, it was me. And uh, I, I, yeah, I've been thanking Father, but I've also been asking him, uh, where does this take us now? <laughs> okay, but you see, that was authority. And uh, that person got every need met in that house, in that house of prayer, that, that place of worship. Let's go on. Let's turn to Romans 10. Romans 10, uh, let's pick it up at verse 8. Right, got it. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. Two places at once. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. But it springs from your heart into your mouth. You see, when, you're sat, when we're sat under ministry, the longest journey in the world is from there down to there. That's the longest journey in the world because you use this to process what you're hearing, what is being said. You use these to see the expression on the person's face. You can sense their excitement. You sense the anointing. But then, having processed it, it's got to be down there. Same when you read the Word of God. You read the Word of God, it's processed up here, and then the reality of that Word, especially if it's God wanting to point something out to you, takes place down here. And that's where it's embedded. And have you noticed something? If you get things that logged in your memory, they can fade with time. But when something is, is processed and put where it belongs, down here, in the same dwelling place as the Holy Spirit, with your Holy Spirit, it is always there. And you have instant recall at the name of Jesus. You got me? Uh, yes, I, I'm watching time very carefully. Uh, so let's continue reading. Romans chapter 10. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. This is the word of faith that we preach. But if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That essentially is the essence of the gospel. Okay? For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made into salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be ashamed. There is no shame in being one of God's people. People might decry you. Uh, Jesus warned himself, they'll take you before judges, magistrates, they'll take you before councils, 
all sorts of places. But in that moment, when you need to speak, the Holy Spirit will feed the word to you. Therefore, there is no shame. There's no shame in being a Christian. There is no shame in being one of God's people. You can walk down the street. Listen, God, as somebody said to me, I think I've said it before, but forgive me, but here it's worth hearing again. As somebody said to me, God designed you to walk like a skyscraper. Stop acting like a bungalow. Okay. Yes. An amusing way of putting it. But it's a fact. We learn about Jesus from the Word. Where do we learn about Jesus? Oh, you're really alive this morning. Where do we learn about faith? Where do we learn about our, our future? And where do we learn about our call? The Word of God, yes. Firstly, the Word of God. You know, somebody can come up to you and say, listen, God has laid this on my heart to pass on to you. And you suddenly realize they're talking about the life that you're living and how it's going to progress. That's, but you see, it's coming from the Word of God. And you recognize it. You recognize those times when you've, uh, uh, when you've read it in the Word of God and you jumped out of your chair and you've danced around the room or wherever it is. The Holy Spirit helps us apply this to our lives, revealing who Jesus is. Amen. Amen. You didn't get the reality of who Jesus is from somebody standing this side of the lectern. You got it from the Holy Spirit. In the same way as your salvation came through the Lord, uh, the, the, general, the secretary general of the church, who also happens to be your king and your redeemer. You got it? Right, let's move on. We have authority to use the name of Jesus in prayer over our own lives, okay? Over the lives of our family. Look, I'm the head of our house. And uh, yeah, there are times when I do as I'm told, but uh, uh, I, I'm the head of our house. That's an agreement between the two of us. Pam wouldn't have it any other way. I can remember uh, back in 2004 when I had a heart attack, and uh, of course I was given a, a period of, uh, you know, getting better, strengthening up, and. Uh, there came a time after some weeks and weeks, and I'm really getting my act together, and Pam said, okay, it's time for you to take over the reins again. I've had enough. <laughs> you were built for this. Take over as head of the house again. Yeah. You see, all that time, she had been supporting me. All that time, she uplifted me in prayer. Now it was time for me to do my part again. And uh, that's how it is. Uh, so we, we have authority to use the name of Jesus over our own lives. We have authority to use the name of Jesus over other people's lives. You know, my prayer here, our prayer here, is that as we minister alongside Owen, that your lives will be strengthened, that you will grow in grace. But there's caution here. 
because we have authority over other people's lives, but we have to understand that when we're praying for other people, God will not violate a person's will. He will not violate a person's will. Yes, you can pray for them. Uh, you know, we've, we've got situations going on in the world. And some of those situations, we have to remember the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 24. These things must happen. Therefore, we can't stand our ground, draw our spiritual source and say, stop in the name of Jesus. Jesus said, these things must happen. But we can pray into these situations concerning the people who are feeling the effects of what's going on. We can pray into nations for, for the spread of the gospel because I don't know about you, but I believe that we are on the cusp, the threshold of that final outpouring of the Holy Spirit to bring in the greatest harvest that the world has ever seen. You know, people might talk to you in terms of, no, we don't need the church anymore. God needs the church more now than he has ever needed it before. We are his mouthpiece. We are his presence. And uh, we need to get on with the job. Authority depends on three criteria. Number one, who Jesus is. Number two, what Jesus has done. How many of you here this morning have had Jesus do something in your lives? And I better see every hand going up. Yes. And number three, what he is making us to be. Think back over the last 10 years. Have you seen how your life has changed? And I'm talking about your spiritual life. Have you seen how you were growing? Things in the Word of God are now familiar to where you didn't have a clue about them 10 years ago. That's the way that the God is, is nurturing our lives, causing us, to, uh, causing us to grow in His likeness and in His image. Because that is the likeness and image in which we were recreated in Christ Jesus. Got it? So, when we walk down the street, it's God's presence. When we're sat in our home, it's God's presence. Because God's presence is here. And what is here cannot remain in there, has to overflow. Okay? Sometimes overflow without talking or without doing. Sometimes overflowing with our being. I can remember conducting a funeral. And it was... Uh, it was my first child funeral, and that's not easy. And uh, after the funeral, I, I went back to the house to see the family, and all the family were gathered there. And I was sat, and I was just listening as the family talked. That's all I was doing, just listening. And as I was preparing to leave, somebody asked me if I would pray. So I did. And then as I was going out, I said, uh, thank you for allowing me to be part of this. She said, you will never know what's happened today. 
I said, why? I haven't said anything hardly. She said, the fact that you were here, you brought a presence into this house that we haven't known before. That was God doing his work. You know, I take no credit for that. That was God doing his work. I was available. Remember the old saying, God doesn't want able people. He wants available people. Okay, people who are ready. What can we do, Lord? What can we do? Remember that poster some years ago? It was a polar bear with her cub. And the caption on it was, Lord, uh, let me get it right. Lord, cause me to think and realize that there's anything can happen with you and me today. Anything can happen. I'm watching my time, but there's a lot in this uh, this subject, so I'll just continue for a while, and then I'll hand over to Owen. Uh, so, who is Jesus? Of these three, who is Jesus? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Colossians 1 and verse 13. The image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. John uh, chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he's still dwelling among us through the Holy Spirit. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I try to put myself in the heart of John as he was writing this. You know, the twelve, walking with him, talking with him, watch him, watching Jesus as he, as he played with kids. Jesus had a special part in his heart for children. He still has. But as they walked with him, as they touched him, um, it's uh, uh, John, John's first epistle, that which was from the beginning, which we have handled, the word of life. This is the Jesus that they were with. And this is the Jesus that you and I are with. We handle him. We touch him. He touches us. Amen. Colossians 2 verse 9, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. The fullness of the Godhead lives in bodily form. And we carry that fullness as part of our lives every moment of every day. Philippians 2, uh, your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. We know this so well, we should be able to recite it. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore, because of all that, here's that word again, therefore, 
God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Considering the things that are going on in this world at this moment, that is going to come a, a, a moment in time when every knee, I'm saying every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. But it could be too late for some of them. Could be too late. They acknowledge him as Lord, but have no part in his eternity because they rejected the offering that Jesus made of himself. He gave of himself on the cross for you and for me. But because God brought him back from the dead, the greatest display of Holy Ghost power, God brought him back from the dead. I'm, I'm drawn to... When I think about that, I'm drawn to the occasion where Jesus and the disciples were at the tomb of Lazarus. Lazarus had been dead four days. And Jesus stood there. He wept. The only time in Scripture where we're told, he wept. And he turned to the people and said, roll away the stone. They said, look, you can't do that. He's stinking. He's decaying. Four days. Oh, that was the absolute limit. Four days. He's stinking. You can't do this, Lord. He said, take away the stone. Now, let me tell you something about that stone. One word from Jesus, and that stone would have been a heap of rubble. But he was engaging other people. Roll that stone away. Part, they call it partnership. Roll that stone away. We do one job, he does the rest. And Jesus called Lazarus out. And uh, uh, within 18 months later, God called Jesus back from the dead so that you and I might have the life that we are having now, a life that is an eternal life. Did you know that you entered your eternity the moment you gave your heart and life to Jesus? The moment you made him Lord of your life, you entered your eternity. Man, we're going to live a long, long, long time. And as the children of God, we have authority over in the kingdom of God. We have authority in the world in which we live. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 to 18. Verse 16. Matthew 16, verse 16. Come on, you should know this one. Somebody give it to me. Without looking. Simon Peter answered. You remember the discourse? Jesus said, who do men say that I am? Oh, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. You could be any one of the major prophets come back as far as people are concerned. Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, Peter, this did not come from your own heart. It was revealed to you by God our Father. 
the first revelation given to the common man in the New Testament. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. The first time the disciples realized by revelation who Jesus was. There are two types of knowledge. There's learnt knowledge, and we start that one from the time we're born, the moment that we're born, learnt knowledge, how to feed, how to breathe, and then we gradually learn how to walk, and we gradually learn uh, not to play with things that are dangerous. You know, it's a learning curve all through our lives. And that's the second type of knowledge, revelation knowledge. That's what Peter had. That's what you and I have access to. Revelation knowledge coming directly from the heart of God through the Holy Spirit. He will speak to you. He will speak to you from the Word. He will speak directly into your heart, into your ear sometimes. For 10 years, I was running a charity and uh, I had a deputy under me. And uh, Wendy and I uh, had a, a great relationship. And we were going to, we were going somewhere up north. I think we were going to Lancaster. And it was one of those prime days on the M6. Traffic every which way you, you cared to look. And it was chucking it down with rain. It was coming down by the bucket load. And I'm in the middle lane, and the traffic is crawling, and it is crawling. I looked in my mirror, nothing behind me, nothing ahead of me in the outside lane. I'm just about to signal to overtake. And the Holy Spirit, this is one of those moments when he audibly said, stay where you are. So I did. Miles down the road. Everything was clear. Now, I don't know why, but God was defending us from possible calamity at that time and defending us from my stupidity in driving into it. Revelation knowledge. We need more revelation knowledge. Revelation coming from the Word. Revelation coming from the Holy Spirit. And I've gone on too long. Sorry, Owen. But... Uh, God bless you. We're going to spend a few weeks on this. If that's all right with you. If it isn't, I'm still going to spend a few weeks on it. And uh, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll build ourselves up in our most holy faith and in the word of God. Amen. Amen. Bless you.